Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up, awesome.com fantasy football show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com fantasy football podcast. It's the first one here. I'm Dave Lockwood with me doing his first show at awesome.com. Matt Gajeski, follow the man at Matt underscore Gajeski. That's G A J E W S K I. Follow me at Lafayette underscore D L O U G H Y underscore D. Matt. We've got so much to cover over the next, the following three weeks. Football kicks off Thursday night, September 10th. We're getting ready to rock here. It's the first one. We're setting everything up. Hell, we don't even have a name yet. So I'm thinking, what a better way, what better way to do this than to throw our Twitter handles out there and let the people, the listeners, give us some ideas and maybe we can crowdsource it and come up with a good name for next week. That sounds awesome. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Super excited to be making my debut here and just super excited to finally be talking some football. I know we have sports back, but my personal favorite sport here, and I couldn't be more excited to jump into this. It's been a long time coming, and and this is going to be an extraordinarily strange season in that there will be no competition. There there might be some competition in in the baseball world. I guess guess basketball might overlap a little bit uh, into the finals, but Ultimately, football is going to have the the sports world to itself all the way up until late December when uh, the NBA season on Christmas Day has preemptively started to set uh, to get started on the 2020-2021 season. But uh, Ben Rasa, close buddy of mine, done many shows with him, done a lot of work with him over the past couple of years with FanVice and now AwesomeMode.com. He said a lot of good things about you. He was super happy to bring you on. So don't let us down, Matt. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready, man. All right. So we want to make sure that we can hit on uh, breaking news as it comes in. And it's a pre-recorded podcast. Most of the stuff we do at awesomemode.com is live, but uh, we want to be up to date on everything. And we thought there was no better time uh, to start a podcast off with our inaugural episode than to do new places and new faces and really break down how quarterbacks specifically 
uh, are going to affect the rest of their team in new spots from Philip Rivers to Tarod Taylor getting the start to Teddy Bridgewater and a bunch of others. We'll talk running backs as well, a number of them, and myriad receivers joining new places with different quarterbacks put in interesting spots. All of that fantasy implications are going to be huge. But first, Matt, we just got news recently, only maybe 20, 30 minutes before we press the record button on this podcast. David Montgomery was carted off the field at the Chicago Bears practice with an apparent knee injury today. It, it, it's, it appears as though the Chicago organization is optimistic, but when you're carted off at practice on a non-contact injury, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think, oh God, let's hope this is not some type of ACL or MCL that puts him away for several months or potentially even the year. Right, for sure. And that's the worry anytime you see a non-contact injury. David Montgomery, he's probably not the most attractive pick, you know, in fantasy football. He's usually a mid-round pick in the fourth or fifth round, but we're still talking about a starting running back here. Someone who handled 242 carries last year, 35 carries inside the red zone. So this is a guy that does have a lot of impact for fantasy football, even with the Bears not being the most attractive situation. He's definitely a guy we want to monitor for sure, and I'm, I'm hopeful we at least have those optimistic reports. And speaking of new play, new faces and new places, which we're going to cover extensively today, that will be the main subject of the podcast. You may see somebody like Devonta Freeman end up coming in here. Let's say this injury is serious enough to hold Montgomery even out for a couple of games to start the year. They do not exactly have a murderer's row of backup uh, running backs here. As a matter of fact, I would I, I would guess that most of these guys on the roster outside of Tariq Cohen are, 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 are players that you haven't heard of before. Uh, Ryan Nall being one of them, Artavis Pierce. If, if these are your backups, it stands to reason that you might see somebody like Devontae Freeman, who has been a fixture in the fantasy world for a while now, jump in and get some work. Uh, Adam Schefter, as a matter of fact, recently tweeted the, 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 the number of free agents still available and it's not, it's not the, the, the most, it's not the prettiest list, but Devontae Freeman is still there. Uh, Spencer Ware, Kenneth Dixon, Bilal Powell, CJ Proceis, Trey Carson, uh, John Hilleman, Marshawn Lynch, Robert Turbin. It's not pretty. I get that. But Devontae Freeman, I think you'd agree, is clearly the creme de la creme of that specific list, still a free agent. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of question there. You know, he's a guy that handled over 70 targets last year. So he's someone that can actually function on all three downs. Do you know Tariq Cohen? He's mainly their pass catching back. But you'd have to think he's the favorite. I'm a little bit interested in their undrafted free agent, Artavis Pierce. He's a kid from Oregon State. He actually caught 74 passes in his career there. Decent size. Ran a 4-5-1, 40-yard dash. So he's someone I like coming out of college. But again, we're talking about undrafted free agents. I think it's pretty likely they bring someone in if this injury does end up being serious. Does Devonta Freeman just want too much money in a spot like this? Because you would think that if LaShawn McCoy is getting signed to the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he's clearly at the latter stages of his career, fantastic career uh, in the backfield for LaShawn McCoy, but he doesn't have a whole lot left in the tank. You could say that for a number of running backs that are currently on rosters. Frank Gore being one of them got moved to the New York Jets. Devonta Freeman's still without a team. You have to think there's more to it than just um, than him uh, just not getting offers. And he said on Sirius XM NFL radio uh, a little while ago, I want to be around guys that want to win. 
I want to be around a bunch of winners. You don't have to be the best, but if you go, if you go, if you've got that dog mentality and want to win, we can deal with that. I want to be around guys who want to be great, even if they're not great. End quote. So an interesting quote from Freeman. Are the Bears going to be great? Do the Bears want to be great? Maybe it's a landing spot. I don't know. But this Montgomery injury seems like it could be uh, pretty impactful in the fantasy space. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Jimmy Graham was quoted the other day talking about the Bears Super Bowl mentality. So maybe we are talking about a great team here. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of the Cam Newton situation where everyone thought, you know, like, does Cam Newton want too, too much money? And it turned out, I think Cam Newton was just waiting for a starting job. Perhaps that is what Freeman's doing here. And if he were to sign with the Bears, if this injury is significant, I think you'd be looking at a lion's share of the workload here, too. So maybe that's a factor for Freeman. I'm not sure. I guess we'll find out soon enough. No question. Yeah. And uh, again, from Adam Schefter, there seems to be some positivity surrounding the situation. He said, fortunately for David Montgomery and the Bears, it is not the running back's knee that was injured. This just came out. Uh, and the team is optimistic as it awaits more test results. It's a groin strain, apparently. We're just getting this all right now, Matt. So this is uh, this is coming into us right now. They're under. He's undergoing further testing. Groin injuries can be pretty rough, but it's it's good that it's not a knee. It's an injury uh, that's pretty manageable and something at least worth paying close attention to if he is out for a couple of weeks heading into the start of the season. But what do you say we get to some of these new faces in new places, Matt? There are a lot of good ones this year to get into. Yeah, let's do it. Do you have a favorite? So of all of them, and this might sound sound a little bit crazy, and I'm going to stick with quarterbacks because of the overall impact that they have on the entirety of an offense – I'm going to go with Philip Rivers. And the reason for Philip Rivers as we kick it off with quarterbacks is I totally understand this guy's deep ball is shot, right? Nobody threw more interceptions on pass attempts, 20 plus yards downfield more than Philip Rivers last year. However, Philip Rivers also took guys like Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, and despite a losing non or uh, playoff missing season, Despite the 20 interceptions, he's still through for 4,600 yards, 591 pass attempts. Now, I'm not saying in Frank Reich's system you're going to see the same type of pass volume. But what I can tell you is that Frank Reich is a good coach, and he will find ways to maximize Phillip Rivers' talents and what he's still good at. Just as last year, he tried to keep the ball out of Jacoby Brissett's hands as much as he could. So I look at somebody like T.Y. Hilton, and I see his ADP in PPR leagues, down around 60. And I look at Jack Doyle, who's complete afterthought, despite having some really solid years, at least one specifically before Eric Ebron came to town. I just think there's a lot to exploit in this offense, knowing that Phillip Rivers is still going to chuck the ball, still has those intermediate passes that he can hit. And despite everything we said about his deep ball, Mike Williams still eclipsed 1,000 yards last season with the Chargers. You brought up a really good point there. I kind of want to unpack a little bit. And you mentioned Frank Reich taking the ball out of Jacoby Brissett's hands. I was digging into this Indianapolis offense a little bit and trying to look at some differences between 2018 and 2019 when they had Andrew Luck and then they moved over to Brissett, of course. With Andrew Luck, they were actually a pretty up-tempo pass-first offense. They were third in the NFL in plays, second in pass attempts. And it's not like they were facing a lot of negative game script that either they were fifth in points per game back in 2018 and they finished 10 and six. So this was a good team. Then of course, luck retires. They have Jacoby Brissett coming in. They drop all the way to 18th in plays per game, 24th in pass attempts and 16th in points per game. 
I don't think Philip Rivers is Andrew Luck. You, you and I, I think, both can agree on that. Absolutely. But I still do believe he's probably an upgrade on Jacoby Brissett in almost every facet of the game outside of his legs. He's a guy ever 7.8 yards per attempt. That was better than Brissett 6.6. No matter what metrics you're looking at outside of rushing, Phillip Rivers, I think, is an upgrade for this offense. Love T.Y. Hilton at his ADP. Love Jack Doyle down there. You mentioned both of them. I even think taking a look at Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman in the yeah. very back ends of your draft are worthwhile as well. Look, there's no doubt Philip Rivers is not Andrew Luck, 2018 version of Andrew Luck. And Philip Rivers isn't the old version of himself that was reliably going to give you very good numbers every season. Maybe not elite numbers, but never bad numbers. But here's the thing. In fantasy these days, you know, if you're playing DFS on a site like DraftKings, interceptions are, are kind of not that important other outside of taking the ball out of your quarterbacks or your team's hands. It's minus one. A lot of leagues nowadays, it's minus one. I can live with that if the yards are going to be there. And last season, Keenan Allen um, was a wide receiver six. Mike Williams was wide receiver 39, but he had the quietest thousand yard season on only 90 targets. Austin Eckler was the RB4, thanks to a heavy involvement in the passing game. And let's not forget about Hunter Henry either. He played only 12 games was the TE9 and was pacing uh, 73 receptions, 869 yards, and 6.7 touchdowns, which would have finished him as the tight end six. And this is with a season from Phillip Rivers where he threw 23 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. I think getting a better coach in Frank Reich is going to do him a lot of favors this year. Neither you or myself are under the illusion that Phillip Rivers comes in and supplants Andrew Luck and, and, and replaces that production. But there's no doubt that compared to Jacoby Brissett, who virtually never threw the deep ball last year and was not accurate uh, in most facets of the offense, even with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack here, you have to think they're going to try and open it up a little bit more than they did a season ago. For sure. And I'm actually interested in Jonathan Taylor a lot, too. I know people keep trying to knock his pass catching ability. I think he's fine in this realm. He's a guy that actually had a 10.3 target share at Wisconsin. We know that's a team that's not typically throwing the ball a lot. That was actually better than DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins. I'm not real interested in guys like Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines. I, I am interested in Taylor. And one thing I'll be really interested to see what the Colts do is how they use their tight ends. You mentioned Doyle. They also signed Trey Burton, and they used 12 personnel at the sixth highest rate last year. I don't know if that was kind of a function of the offense. You know, T.Y. Hilton was hurt for a while, or if it's something they're going to look to do with that Trey Burton signing. You think that influences any of the ancillary pass catchers here? And are you a fan of Taylor going forward? It's yeah. I know we brought you on too, especially one of the things being your college football acumen and all of those points you just made about Jonathan Taylor. I don't think you hear enough in the in the fantasy space, and and many people that I've heard that are that are very knowledgeable in that. Uh, in, in college football have mentioned that Jonathan Taylor does it. It's not that he can't catch footballs, but he really wasn't utilized as much as he could be. If, if we're looking at what production we get from him this season as a pass catcher, I think, I think really the biggest question is, are we going to see other running backs involved for the Colts? It's not Marlon Mack is not somebody that I'm necessarily worried about being used as a pass catcher. But is Naeem Hines going to be that guy? And if that's the case, what do we make of this backfield split between Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack? You know, it's interesting, and I don't have the the numbers right in front of me, but Marlon Mack broke his hand last year. Yeah. And I was looking at the splits 
before the injury. And Marlon Mack was actually a factor on third down. It's really interesting they didn't use him there because he is a guy that caught a lot of passes in college. And then after that injury, we saw Naheem Hines play more. And it just makes me wonder if that hand was actually affecting him down the stretch. And we know the draft capital they spent on Taylor, of course, the second round pick. I think they envision him as a three down back sooner rather than later. So I'm willing to take a stab on him for sure. And kind of just ignore the other ancillary pieces. And to clear things up for anyone thinking I might be particularly high on Phillip rivers. It's not as much Phillip rivers that I'm high on this year, because I think the quarterback position is deeper than ever. If I'm drafting teams, I'm happy drafting two quarterbacks that are outside of the top, like consensus top 12 and still being perfectly fine with it. If I end up with Matthew Stafford and Baker Mayfield, I'm I'm rejoicing because I've landed uh, pass catchers, running backs, maybe a tight end in spots where other people are taking running backs, and I still feel confident in my quarterbacks, which means that uh, Phillip Rivers is slightly less appealing to me. But I do think that as a result of last year, people talking about T.Y. Hilton's injury, which, by the way, the guy never misses games outside of last year. Uh, talking about Jack Doyle, who was playing alongside Eric Ebron and also had to worry about Jacoby Brissett's uh, inadequacies at the helm. These are the guys that I'm most interested in. And I think the pass catchers really see an added boost with Phillip Rivers, whether he's accurate or not. Uh, and it, it needs to be talked about more because he doesn't have to be great like last season to make these players better than they were in 2019. Let's move to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks, Matt. This is a big one. And this, this is, if you listen to any podcast, I'm sure it's been mentioned uh, an unlimited amount of times because, well, it gets people to listen. I remember we were doing the Awesome o Morning Show over at YouTube, and this is during the shutdown, so there were no real sports happening. I wasn't sitting there talking an hour of KBO. I know some people can do it, but League of Legends, KBO, tough times, man. I respect it, but I can't, I can't get there. And the, the most viewed show with the highest concurrent viewers we had was when Rob Gronkowski decided he was coming back to Tampa. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge development. It was, sorry, a huge development uh, in the landscape of the National Football League. Tom Brady reuniting with Rob Gronkowski and now finding themselves in a position where they have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Ronald Jones, who Bruce Arians apparently says is going to carry the load. If Tom Brady plays well, and, and this is where I'd love to get your take, if Tom Brady plays well, this team could be a offensive juggernaut. If he doesn't play well, we could see a lot of wasted talent in some of the most skilled pass catchers in the league. This is a tough one to decipher. And I want to start with Winston for a second. Just the 30 interceptions he threw last year, everyone likes to talk about how bad of a QB Winston was turnover prone. And all of that is true. But I can't really think of a better situation for pass catchers you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, then someone throwing pick sixes, 30 interceptions. Exactly. Always playing from behind. Playing from behind, you get the ball back instantly. <laughs> so with Brady, we know he's definitely not going to turn the ball over that much. And when you take a look at these two from a statistical perspective, they actually weren't too different. Brady completed 60.8% of his passes. Jameis Winston was at 607 Winston ranked sixth in yards per attempt. Brady was 29th. And this is the biggest difference I could find. Theoretically, you're thinking probably Brady, a guy who checks it down a lot, does this hurt Mike Evans and potentially boost Chris Godwin, a guy who is particularly efficient out of the slot as a lower A dot receiver, doesn't help guys like Rob Gronkowski. We know OJ Howard's still there. 
that's my first inclination is that we should probably be targeting the pass catchers that are working the intermediate areas of the field. That's not to say Mike Evans can't do it. And he's still probably going to see a large volume of targets. I mean, Tampa Bay was still fourth in pass attempts last year, fourth in plays per game. New England wasn't far behind that. So we know Brady can play with pace. New England was fifth in pass attempts and third in plays per game. But still, my first inclination is to go to the intermediate pass catchers. It's funny you mentioned that. I wrote, I penned an article at awesome.com much earlier in the year. So it was probably like June that I was writing this. And it was five must-own players for the 2020 fantasy football season. And Chris Godwin was one of those. Now, things may have changed a little bit because as predicted, as I predicted, his ADP would rise. But at the time, he was a late second, early third round ADP. And all I could all I could think of is almost verbatim what you just said. Julian Edelman last season with Tom Brady under center still had a, a really decent season. He ran 68% of his uh, snaps out of the slot, caught 100 passes from Brady. Uh, Chris Godwin ran 63% of his snaps in the slot last season as well. Dominant after the catch as well. He had one drop on eighty-seven pat on eighty-seven attempts. He was six. Uh, he was second in yards after the catch of any receiver last season. Right, eight yards behind Michael Thomas, but he played two fewer games than him. Uh, it was amazing what Chris Godwin can do after the catch. Now, Mike Evans is one of the one of the preeminent talents at the wide receiver position in football. But I do think you're on to something. When you say Chris Godwin probably, I, I think Chris Godwin probably has the higher floor and the higher ceiling here because of what he can do creating after. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He catches the football. And while everybody's down on Tom Brady's deep ball, much like Phillip Rivers, Godwin could be in a very, very interesting situation where he just gets a lot of opportunity on intermediate routes and then does more after the catch and isn't relied upon to catch balls 40 yards downfield. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Godwin is my preferred target in this offense. But there's a question I actually want to ask you, and it's about Ronald Jones, who you brought up earlier. We've seen Brady pass a lot to running backs. They have James White. It makes a lot of sense. My question mainly is, is this Brady targeting running backs? You know, he targeted them at the fourth highest rate last year, or is it a function of just having a guy like James White on the offense? It basically brings up the question, can Ronald Jones catch these passes? Do you envision him taking on that three down role? It's such a good question and a necessary one. Now we do know that Bruce Arians has mentioned very recently that he says Ronald Jones will, will shoulder the load, which I believe. I, I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn's going to be the guy. 
uh, Agumbale, Der, Der Agumbale is somebody who I always struggle with that pronunciation. So please, if you're listening there, uh, is it Dare or Dare? Oh, I got you, man. I went to Wisconsin. It's Dare Agumbawale. Agumbawale. Okay. So I even got Dare wrong. So Dare Agumbawale. There you go. Uh, usually I'm, I'm, I'm like the pronunciation police, but in this one, I always struggle with it. it is, is this somebody that's going to be used as a pass catcher or is he going to be overlooked and, and Ronald Jones is involved more? So I think it's a two-part question, Matt. One is, is Dare going to be used? And two, if he isn't and Ronald Jones is in there on third downs, is Tom Brady going to be the guy that routinely checks down and, and, and uses his receivers. Like with James White, a lot of it wasn't even checking down. It was planned out, like scripted to get him the football because of how talented he was as a pass catcher. I do think Ronald Jones will get the opportunity to be involved heavily enough as a pass catcher. And quite frankly, I think he has one of the most um, exploitable ADPs going into this league. Everyone's talking about how important it is to load up on running backs. You got to get running backs early. I've seen Michael Thomas going 10th or 10th overall in a lot of PPR leagues. Ronald Jones is at 85 overall with an ADP of 85, the 30th running back off the board. It seems strange to me that, that he's going that far down in a year where wide receivers are so bountiful and running backs aren't. If he does end up being involved as a pass catcher, Matt, if he does end up being somebody that gives us significant production, both on the ground and through the air, he was targeted 41 times last year at 31 receptions for 309 yards. He's going to be an absolute steal uh, in the eighth round, late seventh round. Yeah, look, man, we're talking about running backs we're taking shots on, too. It's not like you're spending early draft capital on this guy. And we love Chris Godwin. We love Mike Evans. These are guys with ADPs in the second round. We're expecting this offense to score points. I think just getting a running back with the scoring expectation that Ronald Jones could potentially have that late, it's a slam dunk. Even if he doesn't pan out, you're only spending a mid-round pick on him, an eighth-round pick on him. I think he's a great pick there. What about with Cam Newton now? We take the we make the move from Tom Brady to Tampa Bay from or by way of New England to Cam Newton to New England by way of Carolina. The impact here is tough because they don't have a star-studded cast of pass catchers. Outside of Julian Edelman, you know, you have Nikhil Harry and 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 maybe a couple other guys that could make an impact. The James White. Obviously, I don't see him being all that impacted. If, if they're running a similar offense, at least to some extent, I think James White production probably stays similar. Maybe he benefits. But how do you see Cam Newton affecting this offense? It's a big shift from somebody like Brady to him. I can't really see it being that much of a downgrade. There was a big misconception around Newton the last two years, I would say. And he was playing hurt both of the both of these years that he had regressed that he had become a poor football player. I think he was mainly just hurt at the back end of that 2018. The guy could barely throw deep with that shoulder injury. And then we know about the foot last year, but for that, even in the the year where he had the shoulder injury, he still completed 67.9% of his passes. That was a career high Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore both had fantastic years. And it's not like Carolina had a star studded depth chart either. We know James White can catch passes, not as dynamic as McCaffrey for sure. Julian Adelman, highly efficient slot receiver. That's similar to what DJ Moore was doing in Carolina. 
I think Cam Newton will be fine for those two guys. And as far as James, James White goes, I, at this point, I don't know who else they really have on the depth chart. Are we really going to take a look at, you know, Damian Harris and guys like this? Or do you think James White maybe takes on, I don't know, a larger workload? I think it's possible. I think it's possible because really what else do they have? Another thing to consider, too, is what does the run game look like? If the run game is stagnant again, James White's going to be forced into an even larger role. He had, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he led the league last year along with Austin Eckler in receptions of 20-plus yards, which is, a, which is really nice to know that, that he has the ability to break off some chunk plays. He was targeted 95 times, uh, had only five touchdowns, but that's, re- that's receiving touchdowns. I, I think the previous year he had seven. You can see that increase. And he's not going to be used a ton as a rusher, but he'll probably give you anywhere from like 250 to 400 yards on the ground. The, the way I see this, and not to, to be rhetorical because I know you asked me a question, but what do we get out of Sonny Michelle? He was just activated from the pup list. He had a, a dismal season last year with a, uh, 247 carries, only 914 yards. Outside of the seven touchdowns, it was a disaster. And then Damian Harris. Uh, is Damian Harris going to be decent enough in his second season to give them production they need to actually get the ground game back on its feet? If not, Matt, I'd say if that's the case and and, and nothing goes according to plan, the run game continues to struggle as it did last year, they're going to have to use James White as much as possible simply as an extension of the run game to get the ball moving. I agree with you 100%. James White is one of the players I like most in this offense right now. He's not going to be the most attractive pick, but basically everything you just brought up. I was interested in Damian Harris earlier in the offseason, but his ADP has risen to a spot where I just don't see a lot of upside unless there's a James White injury. We know he's not going to catch passes. So even spending a mid to late round pick on Damian Harris doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I love Julian Edelman at his ADP, running those high percentage routes out of the slot. If you do think Cam Newton can't throw deep, which a lot of people seem to think, that shouldn't affect Julian Edelman whatsoever. They have no one else to catch balls. Right now, if you read the New England reports, they're hyping up Gunnar Olszewski as they're saying he's <laughs> been the number two receiver in camp. So I, I know they have Nikhil Harry, but I think it's just Julian Edelman, man. It really is. And James White, right? Like he's basically a, a, just the receiver at this point. He has an ADP of 81 in PPR leagues, 94 in standard leagues. Now with someone like James White, massive difference. Be be cognizant of that. James White is not nearly as valuable in standard leagues, especially because he isn't used frequently on the ground. But you know what? If he's a 31st or so running back going off the board, it it speaks volumes to where Ronald Jones is, by the way. I, I think Ronald Jones should be well ahead of him, and he's only five picks ahead of him. But James White might be utilized enough here in PPR formats where you're getting consistent double-digit fantasy production from him each day. However, I'll say this much. Matt, in DFS leagues, James White, and and I know this is a season-long podcast, but in DFS leagues, James White is someone that I just very rarely get to because the range of outcomes for this guy is so tight. It's, It's very, very uncommon that he gives you a 25 fantasy point game. So when you're drafting him, I think it's important to keep in mind, you're never going to get awful games from James White, but you're probably not going to be getting huge games from him very often either. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I don't think I rostered him once last year. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it, it is he is what he is, and he's a good player that's going to be involved, but is probably not – James White will never lose you leagues, 
and he's probably never going to win you leagues. So that might be the easiest way to put it. Another guy that's not going to win you leagues might lose him, but I think we'll probably shy away from him for, to a large extent is Teddy Bridgewater. He's in Carolina now taking over uh, the starting quarterback job for Cam Newton and then Kyle Allen and whoever else they, whatever other scrub they ran out there last year towards the end of the season. You've got a really talented young receiver in DJ Moore going into his third year. You got somebody in Curtis Samuel who was, everyone was all aboard the, the Curtis Samuel hype train last season. A lot of group thinking fantasy football. And he disappointed. Maybe he improves this year. We'll see. Could be one of those post-hype sleepers. And then lastly, but most importantly, Christian McCaffrey. What impact does Teddy Bridgewater have coming to this team that really struggled with quarterback play last year through 16 games anyway? That's what I wanted to bring up. And you mentioned Kyle Allen. They played most of the year with Kyle Allen. Crazy. And Christian McCaffrey still had 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yards rushing. I don't think you could consider Teddy Bridgewater a downgrade on that. And, you know, more importantly, they're changing coaching staffs here. They, they have Matt Rule coming in, and they bring in Joe Brady, the infamous Joe Brady, LSU's offensive coordinator. He's familiar with Teddy Bridgewater. They spent time together in New Orleans where Joe Brady, I believe, was an analyst He might have had something to do with the QBs, but he was on staff in New Orleans in that 2018 season. He's a guy that historically loves to get running backs involved in the passing game. He was an architect of Alvin Kamara's 81 catch season in 2018. Goes to LSU. We know what Clyde Edwards Hilaire did 55 catches for him last year. LSU was extremely creative. They ran a a high paced offense, 14th in pass attempts, 35th in plays per game, number one in points under him. I don't expect Carolina to be like that, but it's also a team we know has a poor defense. They spent every draft pick on the defensive side of the ball this year. They should be a negative game script, throwing the ball a ton. If we're talking McCaffrey, I think he probably sees similar volume to what he had last year. If that's the case, do you know there have been leagues uh, where I've seen this. I've had uh, other hosts and analysts from Sirius XM come on to my show and, and tell me that they've seen this. They're seeing Clyde Edwards Hilaire in some spots go number one overall. I, I, I love the kid. Don't get me wrong. And I think Andy Reid can turn running backs into fantasy gold. But to me, it's just preposterous that you would take a guy coming off of a 2,000 yard, a thousand, thousand, thousand season last year, which is so rare. And, and say, well, you know what, let me go with the rookie that's never played an NFL snap before uh, on a team that has a should have a solid run game, but also has one of the most, well, actually the most prolific pass offenses in the league. That's that's insane to me. It's insane to me, too. And I think Clyde Edwards Slayer was a bad NFL draft pick. However, I think he's a fantastic fantasy football pick, but I, there are some concerns with him, and I just can't see elevating him above Christian McCaffrey. DeAndre Washington, if we're just going to touch on this Clyde Edwards-Hilaire thing a little bit, he was the running back with Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech. A lot of familiarity with Pat Mahomes there. He was stealing some touches from Josh Jacobs, another first-round running back last year. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that DeAndre Washington mixes in. Now, I don't think he's going to have a significant workload, but if we're just nitpicking here between Clyde Edwards Slayer and Christian McCaffrey. I don't see how you can pull the trigger on Edwards Slayer over McCaffrey, a guy we know has essentially no concerns in his game. Yeah. I, I don't see how you, I, I wouldn't choose him over Barkley. I, there's a lot of guys. I wouldn't. And this is, this is where we start getting into more controversial subject. I wouldn't take him over miles Sanders. So uh, I'm high on Clyde Edwards Hilaire, 
but I'm not nearly as high as a lot of other people. And, and it's clearly showing in the way I'm drafting, but ultimately it wraps my brain in pretzels, Matt, because Andy Reid's never drafted a first round running back before he did. So this year, uh, Andy Reid very, very rarely works his running, his rookie running backs in as starters in their first season. He did that with Kareem Hunt when Spencer Ware went down before the season started. So I do think there is a path for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to have a very big season, but uh, now I'm probably just going to, I'm probably just going to be a lot more comfortable with guys who I know, uh, barring an injury, are going to give me elite production no matter what. And with a lot more episodes coming up uh, down the pike, you and I are going to be touching on this rookie running back, second years, uh, second year receivers. It's a big topic of conversation this year. So be sure to stay tuned, check it out. Uh, each and every week we'll be dropping two of these each week. But back to uh, back to, to Carolina. Christian McCaffrey, to me, it should be the number one. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater has a massive impact on him. Do you downgrade DJ Moore from last season? Because he's still getting a ton of love going into the 2020 campaign. I am a little bit. And we're looking at small sample sizes with Teddy Bridgewater, but he did play the majority of six games last year. He basically played six games entirely. Breeze was hurt very early in that first game Bridgewater appeared in. He only threw for 300 yards one time. He only, if we're talking what his receivers did under him, there were only two 100-yard receiving games in that six-game span, both were Michael Thomas. He's a guy that checks the ball down a lot. Now, Bridgewater, he looks great if you're just looking at things like completion percentage. He was up around 68%, 7.1 yards per attempt. But when we look at the deep ball, he only threw beyond 20 yards 15 times last year. That was 37th in the NFL. I don't know if Joe Brady coming in changes this or if it's kind of just Teddy Bridgewater's game, but ultimately I think defenses will catch on to this a little bit. If Bridgewater is in fact playing this kind of neutered style that he did in new Orleans. And it makes me a little bit lower on DJ Moore. We, if we just talk about how deep the wide receiver position is this year, I mean, we have guys going in the same range like Juju Smith Schuster, Odell Beckham in a bounce back spot, Adam Thielen in a Vikings. If we just look at the Vikings team, they lost four starting defensive backs. They should throw the ball more. There's a lot of options in that range. So the one quarterback that worries me even more is in the L.A. Chargers uniform, and that's Terod Taylor. So number one, it appears as though reports are coming out that while Justin Herbert, the rookie uh, quarterback, has been impressive, Terod Taylor still appears to be the man, Matt. And if that's the case, I'm not saying Justin Herbert would be any better. It very likely wouldn't be. But. Philip Rivers, for all of the negative things I've said about that man over the past season, for all of the, the hatred that he's gotten in, in, in the fantasy space, he still was a 4,600-yard passer. He still threw for almost 600 times. And now Terod Taylor is someone who he's going to have an embarrassment of riches in Keenan Allen, in William, in Austin Eckler, and Hunter Henry. This is one of, I think you could argue that this is one of the best casts of offensive pieces, not including the offensive line and such, in the league. You've got a great downfield option in Mike Williams, one of the best slot men in Keenan Allen, the best pass-catching running back out there in Austin Eckler, and then Hunter Henry, who went healthy, is a top-five tight end. Can Should we be expecting Terod Taylor's presence here to really crush the fantasy value of these pass-catchers in Eckler? Because, hell, Keenan Allen's ADP is especially after such a great season 
He is coming in way lower than you would think. 48th overall. He's the 20th wide receiver off the board. Uh, Hunter Henry is coming in at 80, which I think is, is relatively fair. Mike Williams is a complete afterthought. 128, the 50th receiver off the board, despite a 1,000-yard season last year. And no touchdowns, really, but touchdowns are a volatile statistic. They can change every single year, and sometimes you can't predict them. Look, I, we're seeing the market adjust to this a little bit. People are starting to wisen up to, to Taylor coming to town in L.A. There is a point where I do want to draft these guys, but just having Taylor come into the offense – at first glance, I'm not as excited about them. This is a team that was already 28th in place per game last year. Not a ton of volume. And the reason they skewed so pass-heavy, you know, we see Rivers up around 600 pass attempts. They threw the ball at the sixth highest rate. When we last saw Taylor play meaningful snaps, it was back in 2017. He was just shy of 2,800 passing yards, 14 scores, four interceptions. I believe that was in 14 games. He's never thrown more than 3,035 yards in any season. And those Buffalo teams... We're playing slow football, run-heavy football, and that's the main concern I have with the pass catchers in L.A. this year. Even if they do throw the ball at a moderate rate, their plays per game were just so low, and their defense is so good. You talked about having an excellent supporting cast on offense. It's their entire roster, man. Their defense is loaded. I kind of just see them playing defensively sound football, running the ball, trying to control clock best they can, and keeping the ball out of Tyrod's arm. I, I don't think you're wrong. He's Tarod Taylor is not going to kill your football team. He's not going to be the reason you lose a lot of games. But is Tyrod Taylor going to win? Sorry, Tarod Taylor. Is Tarod Taylor going to win football games for you? That's another story. But here's the here's the one thing that is really important. And I preach this all the time, Matt. I'll say it as many times as I can to really drive the point of if you have a do not draft list. Right? Are you, or there are guys that you won't draft. You're just doing it wrong. You should never be there. There should never be a player you're completely unwilling to draft. You could be completely unwilling to draft them at a certain ADP, at a certain round. But being unwilling entirely to draft somebody just because you're not a fan of them, it means that you're going to end up passing up on great opportunities in drafts because there will be spots where everyone has the same opinion as you and this player keeps falling. But inside your head, you can't draft him because you told yourself you wouldn't. If Keenan Allen falls to 55, hell, even 53, or even 50 at that point, if I'm getting Keenan Allen in the fifth round or so, I don't care who his quarterback is. This guy is more than talented enough for me to take a shot on somebody that that, that could rip off another 1,200-yard, eight-touchdown season, even with Terod Taylor at the helm. 100%. And we're starting to see him drop in that range. I actually took him in the fifth round yesterday. So he's a guy I do like. That's such his, good value. For sure. There is one thing I want to bring up before we move on to, to another QB, but we're talking about value across the Chargers offense. I think one guy who's not going at an ADP value right now is Austin Eckler. Melvin Gordon's gone. What do you think Tyrod Taylor does to him? I don't know. And I also, another thing that you know, is, is, is slightly concerning to me. I shouldn't say concerning, but it is something that I'm curious about is, is Joshua Kelly going to get a decent workload on the ground? 
I don't think Austin. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Eckler is going to be terribly hindered by Terod Taylor's presence. The, the, the one issue is if Terod Taylor isn't throwing balls downfield, if the offense is stalling out more, then, then, then Austin Eckler obviously doesn't benefit. They just won't be on the field as much, and they're more predictable. But when you're in a position like Austin Eckler, Tyrod Taylor is really not that in, inaccurate on, on short passes, especially these dump-offs. I don't know where you stand on it, but I don't think Austin Eckler is really going to be all that affected in a negative way. He is going early, though. His, his ADP is, has been climbing. He's being drafted right now. I'm looking at 16th overall in PPR leagues, the 11th running back off the board. I, I'm I'm nervous to draft my RB1 as somebody that really is is not heavily involved as a rusher. It makes sense in an Eckler's case because he's just so capable of giving you monster games as a receiver every day or every week. But do, do you think his, his ADP is warranted? Whether or not Tyrod Taylor comes into the picture, do you, are, are you comfortable drafting someone as your RB1 that is mostly going to be involved almost exclusively as a pass catcher? No, I'm not. But look, man, I we're talking draft picks, three, four, five, coming around on the turn in the second round. I think that is the scariest place to draft. Yep. When all your true bell cows are gone, it's a little early for some of the secondary receivers. Maybe Kelsey and Kittle are both gone. And then you're going to have to pull the trigger on one of these guys. You're really looking at like Eckler, Josh Jacobs, guys that all have some concerns. They're they're not the Joe Mixon's, Miles Sanders, cream of the crop running backs for a reason. Kenyon Drake is another one that should right. probably might be there. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange spot for sure. So the to get back to Eckler, at that point, if those guys are gone, I'm not sure who you bring above him. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he's a a scary pick, but I don't know who you'd elevate above him. I would probably take the tight ends above him still. But man, if I'm getting my first running back in the back half of that second round, not feeling great about it. It's kind of crazy because Josh Jacobs is the complete opposite. Josh Jacobs is going to get a ton of work on the ground, but is is far less reliable as a pass catcher. So Matt, if, if you were to go on the turn, let's say these players are available. Let's say Sanders is gone. Let's say Nick Chubb already was drafted and Mixon was drafted. No, we'll put Chubb on the board. So you've got, you're the 13th pick. You have Chubb, Eckler, Drake, and Jacobs are all still there. Who do you go with? Drake would be the pick for me. And it's just kind of the upgrades Arizona has made. Of course, Drake's now going to be the feature back without David Johnson. Hopkins is there. That's an offense that loves to use running backs in the past game. So you're talking about basically a guy that's going to do similar things through the air as Eckler, but then he's also going to carry on the ground. At least we expect to. Kenyon Drake's a guy that we've only seen eclipse 20 carries in four games in his pro career, which is, it seems crazy, but it's true. 
still moving forward, we saw him carry above 16 times per game in the back half of last year, the final eight games, he was above that mark. So I, I think they're going to give him a shot on the ground. He'd be the guy I prefer. Second would be Nick Chubb. Just, I expect more things from that Cleveland Browns offense. They seem like they're going to skew run heavy. They signed Jack Conklin. They draft Jedrick Wills. Those would be my two preferred plays. And then when we get to Jacobs and Eckler, that's where I, it's a real tough decision for me. Yeah. I think we differ in one spot. I, I, I think Jacobs might actually be a little bit undervalued here. He he played 13 games last season. He was pacing 1,400 rushing yards in his rookie year, had seven touchdowns. Hopefully the offense is a little bit more uh, adept this season. I'm not saying it's going to happen, right? And, and I could be completely wrong. But Derrick Henry is not a prolific pass catching back. He's not used there at all. He's going in the middle of the first round. This isn't to say I expect the same from Josh Jacobs, but my point is there are running backs who are good enough on the ground that their that their pass catching upside, limited pass catching uh, involvement, isn't going to be as important. If Jacobs could even get up to like sixty targets this season, you know I don't need anything crazy from him. across sixteen games, sixty targets. You're talking about like around four targets, three target, three and a half targets a game. I think he could really unlock his ceiling and you'd be seeing a monster game. But I don't want to get too off topic. We could go on forever about this. Let's close out the quarterback position, and then we'll hit our running backs and wide receivers. Nick Foles should be the starter in Chicago, I, I think. I mean, Mitch Trubisky is going to need to make some massive adjustments and and really, really turn some heads throughout the coming couple of weeks if he's going to retain that starting quarterback job. Allen Robinson might be the – one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league, not among the fantasy community that really dive into this, but to the, to the, to the just general public, he could, he could have a huge season if Nick Foles can even be somewhat competent with the football in his hands. I agree. And we, he was super productive with Trubisky last year, but I mean, how ridiculous are the bears? They, they trade (laughs) for Nick Foles and there's guys like Cam Newton and guys like Jameis Winston even available far under market prices. If we compare from a statistical perspective, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles last year, Foles was a little bit better, and let's emphasize a little bit, Trubisky completed 63.2% of his passes, 6.1 yards per attempt. Those are pretty horrific stats. Foles completed 65.8, 6.3 yards per attempt, also pretty horrific. Foles got beat out by a fifth-round rookie in Gardner Minshew, Still, the thing I'll keep going back to with Foles, he's shown it before. He has some familiarity with this coaching staff. I just don't see Foles coming in being a downgrade for Robertson after he saw 154 Mitch Trubisky targets last year. And if you watch any of those, he's catching Aaron passes all over the place. I just don't see how he could be a downgrade. And Trubisky missed so many reads. Wide open receivers, wide open pass catchers, completely missing the read, throwing it into the opponent's hand taking sacks unnecessarily. It wasn't even just his his accuracy or lack thereof. It was the fact that he was missing wide open players all of the time. I, I don't know if you can, and and not to sound mean, but I don't know if you can downgrade Mitch Trubisky right now. It, it, it would be tough. Do you think guys like Anthony Miller uh, and, and Tariq Cohen are – are guys that you are willing to 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 take a look at this season? We know that at the top of the show, David Montgomery dealing with a groin strain is what it's being called now. 
But Tariq Cohen kind of disappointed people last year. He was being drafted pretty early. And Anthony Miller is one of those guys that many of us are just waiting for him to break out because the pedigree is there. The production has not come to fruition. And he's got an ADP of 147, the 55th receiver off the board in PPR formats. You mentioned it. I'm interested in Anthony Miller at the price. I still think there's some reason to believe he hasn't quite shown everything in the NFL yet, and it's injury related. I think in a full season, we could. He's a guy that caught seven touchdowns with a torn labrum as a rookie. I mean, that's just ridiculous. As for Tariq Cohen, I, I'm not as interested in him. We'll, we'll, we'll wait to see what happens with this David Montgomery news, but assuming Montgomery is going to play this year, I think you're going to see, you know, like a poor man's James White, a guy who only really has value as a pass catcher, but it's a team that overall is not going to have as many scoring opportunities. They're probably going to be in more three and out situations. I would expect them to throw the ball less overall than New England. So if you're looking at the pure pass catching backs, Cohen's probably not someone I'll have my eye on. I'd rather look elsewhere. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. It does. And ultimately I'm willing to take any, I'm willing to draft anyone depending on where they're going. Miller, like you said, at that price, why not take a shot there? I'll, I'll happily take a shot on, on, on an Anthony Miller because what, Look at who's being drafted around them. Sometimes it's it's better to put this into context. Like the Patriots defense right now has a higher ADP than, than Anthony Miller. Uh, Antonio Gibson has a higher ADP than Anthony Miller. Sure. There's some hope that, that with Darius guys dropped from the team that, that he can put some numbers up, but like even Eric Ebron in Pittsburgh has a higher ADP than Anthony Miller. Ultimately you're risking nothing on someone like Miller to potentially get him as a wide receiver too on an offense that might look better than they did last year. And I don't, I, I think it'd be hard for them not to be better than they were a season ago. For sure. I also think they will be a team that does throw the ball a little bit more. Their defense definitely got a little bit worse. They let Prince of Mukamara walk in free agency, former first rounder, Artie Burns was expected to play snaps. He, he suffered, a, it was a non-contact injury. He's on injured reserve right now. So their corners are hurting a little bit. I expect this team to be throwing the ball a little bit more. Why not take a shot? Well, those are our quarterbacks. Decent amount of them in new spots. I think that's some pretty pretty uh, comprehensive analysis on all of them. Like we said, six of them, Rivers, Brady, Newton, Bridgewater, Taylor, and Foles, all of them in new spots. Well, in Taylor's case, taking over the starting gig unless we see something change dramatically over the next couple of weeks but now it's time to talk running backs before we do i want to talk to you about something really awesome that we are doing over at awesome and this is really just giving away a ton of stuff for an incredible price with the best tools that you're going to find for dfs and for season-long football so we're less than three weeks away so here's what we're going to do if you sign up today or you sign up it doesn't have to be today you sign up for an awesome O plus NFL annual pass, you'll get 30% off when you use the promo code Roger at checkout. Roger, R-O-G-E-R. Ridiculous promo code. I know. Wasn't my idea. There's two common spellings of Roger. This could get difficult, but it's R-O-G-E-R like Roger Goodell. You'll get all of Awesomeo's leading player projections, ownership projections, all of our premium content, the lineup builder, everything for DFS NFL that we have on the site. And all of this created by the number one ranked DFS player in the world, Awesomeo himself. You know him as Alex Baker. These are tools that he creates, he uses, develops, but also 
applies to his lineups. He uses these. We don't just slap his name on them. These are the real deal. But you get 30% off of that. Awesome Up Plus NFL annual pass. Because we're excited to bring you an inaugural season-long fantasy football pass. All of us are stoked. We work super hard on this. And our best ball draft kit. You get all of that free with your DFS NFL annual pass. All of the tools that Alex used to make him the best DFS player in the world is how he developed our season-long product. It's data-driven, analytics, no groupthink, none of that. It's really great stuff. It's a draft kit that includes rankings, projections, a ton of content, premium articles, and the draft wingman, which updates rankings in real time based on who you've already drafted. Lastly, all of that sounds great, right? But if you sign up for this using that promo code Roger, we'll also give you $35 credit at FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship, when you sign up for an Awesome Mode draft kit. So it's the 30% off the annual NFL Awesome Mode Plus the free fantasy football season-long draft kit and $35 in credits at FFPC to go win yourself some money. It's only going through August 31st, so get in on that when you can. It's the best thing we've done in a while. It's 365 days worth of Awesome Plus NFL and the draft kit. It's a $280 value for only $175, not including the $35 credits you get at FFPC. Again, go to awesomeo.com slash join. Use that promo code Roger. R-O-G-E-R today. All right, Matt, let's kick it over to some running backs here. A few interesting ones in new spots. I think the most, the the one that's going to create the most controversy, the one that most people are still scratching their heads on, and one that most people are, are, I'd say, uh, really divided on, myself included with many people I've spoken to, is Todd Gurley. The knees have given him trouble we saw how much he struggled last season with a run, uh, an offensive line whose run blocking was much worse last year than it was in 2018. And now he comes to Atlanta, a team that lost uh, many of their offensive linemen to injuries last year. They're looking to get them back in sync. Is Todd Gurley worth his third-round ADP as he joins the Atlanta Falcons? I do think he should be drafted right around that spot. There's a lot of reasons I think his production was a little bit worse than we expected in Los Angeles. He had a career low in carries, 223 there. He also only saw 49 targets. That was his lowest in four years there. Just last year, we saw Devontae Freeman in Atlanta's offense with 70 targets in one fewer game. So I think opportunity will be there. Atlanta is also one of the offenses I think we should just be targeting overall. They were first in pass attempts first in pass rate, and they also ran the second most plays last year. They're returning all five starters on the offensive line. You mentioned some of them were banged up last year. They have two first-rounders from 2019 now entering their second season on that right side in Chris Lidstrom and Caleb McGarry. I think there's a lot of things to like about Gurley. I don't really envision there being much of a timeshare. I'm not too excited about guys like Brian Hill, Ito Smith, but what are you thinking with Gurley? Uh, I'm nervous, and Ultimately, the one thing I'd like to do when I'm when I'm debating whether or not I'm going to draft these players is I'm trying to take a look around and see what's going on uh, within the vicinity. And I would rather wait around and grab David Johnson in the next round and go with Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley has the potential to blow us all away. In his was it his third year, people were really down on him. His rookie season, he, play, he came back from that injury, from the knee injury, and played, I think, half of the season and put up monster numbers. 
everybody was elated, right? Actually, wow, he played 13 games, so he only missed three. But everyone was elated. Great season, 10 touchdowns, 1,100 yards. Next season, huge disappointment. He averaged 3.2 yards per attempt. He, he didn't crack 900 yards, only had six total touchdowns. So his ADP falls. He starts being drafted in the, in the third or fourth round. Everyone's worried about Todd Gurley. Same thing happened with Adrian Peterson after that ACL tear, and he ripped back with a 2,000-yard rushing season. And then Gurley comes back as 1,313 touchdowns and six receiving touchdowns. So we've seen him do it before. The offensive line is so important, though, because that's what he relies on, especially with those knees. 30 overall to me, I'm still a little bit concerned only because I'd rather have a David Johnson a little bit later. Now, do I think in a, in a, on an offense that has Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley that can really open things up and, and, and get this team in the red zone, that Ty Gurley can have a big year? Yes, but I do think, Matt, that he's going to be touchdown dependent again. And if we're being fair, he was totally touchdown dependent last year with only 850 rushing yards, but 14 touchdowns. I, okay, so I do think this is around where he should go. But I also think I personally prefer some of the stud receivers in this spot. That's so a good point, too. He's not a guy I typically get a ton of. I'm trying to hit one of those RBs in the early part of my draft with a cutoff being probably Mixon or Miles Sanders. And then I'm trying to load up on either the early tight ends or these stud receivers in this spot. So I agree, I agree with you. If we're doing a 2v2, I would rather take elite wide receiver David Johnson versus, you know, I don't know, Todd Gurley and uh, whoever you'd get on the turn in the fourth round. Yeah, like a like maybe a Cortland Sutton or something. If, if yeah, you're not exactly, going 100%. Yeah, if you're not going with a running back there. Todd Gurley could surprise us, though. I think the way I'm really looking at this, and I know that you're, you'll be doing a lot of drafts this year, probably already have. I want to get some Todd Gurley. I, I, I want to have some Todd Gurley because I do think there, there, is, there is a ceiling there, and we've seen it before. And he's in a new situation where this Atlanta offensive line, despite the struggles last season, was dealing with uh, a, a ton of issues and injuries that probably limited them. This year, and, and by the way, they were they were 24th in adjusted line yards, according to Football Outsiders. So they did struggle in, in that area a lot. Uh, their power rank was 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 bad. They they were stuffed at the the fifth highest clip. If that's fixed up, and they spent a lot of time trying to to get this offensive line back to where it should be, then I think Gurley could give you good numbers here. But I, I don't want to overload. I don't want to be overweight on Todd Gurley. Uh, if he's my running back too, and I've drafted him in like seven of 10 leagues, I'm just not comfortable with that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a spot where it's not only we're worried about the line and how he's used. Cause I think he's going to be utilized heavily, but Matt, the, the, the extension of drafting Todd Gurley is we don't know if his knees are okay. And, and that's always going to be an issue. Yeah. 100%. And, if you want to talk about comparable volume, we, you know, we saw Devontae Freeman, a significant workload, but you touched on David Johnson. And if we just look at him, of course, he's entering a new spot as well. And we'll get to him. But in that Houston offense where David Johnson now is, Carlos Hyde vacates 255 touches. If we expect similar volume, which is the main thing I'm concerned with, why not take it around later? Right. 
What about in Miami where you've got Matt Breida and Jordan Howard, both of whom were on different teams last year, San Francisco and Philadelphia respectively. I think a lot of us anticipated Miami spending one of these many picks they had in the early rounds on a running back, and they decided to forego that. Uh, Breida has shown some flashes. Jordan Howard's a, a decent enough running back, but he's not going to he's not going to turn any heads. Do you see this being a straight up timeshare and a spot to avoid, or are you looking to take a shot on one of these guys, both of whom are playing alongside each other? I do think it's a timeshare. Coaches, for whatever reason, love to feed Jordan Howard the rock. He had 119 carries last year in a partial season. However, just 14 targets, average 1.4 targets per game. He's going to be the favorite for early down work and goal line work here. Brita is not a sizable guy by any means. However, in a timeshare where these guys are splitting this down the middle, maybe we expect Howard to see the early down work and the goal line work, Breida to see the pass game work. They're still functioning behind arguably the worst offensive line in all of football. Do either of these guys rack up enough touches to really pay off those mid-round ADPs? I'm not 100% certain they do, and I know they're both kind of trendy picks right now. I, I think the, the, one, the one hope, it's not that you hope somebody gets injured, but I think the one spot here is one approach would be that Jordan Howard or Matt Breida goes down with an injury and the other one takes over and gets 20 carries a game. Uh, but you mentioned Jordan Howard's lack of pass catching upside. Well, that's that that problem is compounded by the fact that they're probably going to be playing from behind a ton. Uh, and if they're playing from behind, how often is Jordan Howard going to be on the field? So the way I see it is if I have to go with one of these guys, uh, it's likely going to be Matt Breida for the very simple reason that while he hasn't been a prolific pass catcher, he is somebody that when given, when afforded the opportunity has been able to produce in San Francisco. Uh, I think he would probably be the guy that gets that work. Uh, unless you think there's another running back in this backfield that that gets more work on third downs than these two guys do. Like a, it's it's not going to be Kalen Balaz. You know, who, who would it be? Are you alluding to Patrick Laird? And I, <laughs> I, no, I do not think. I think it Brita no, it would probably be. get the third down work. Right. So if that's the case, I, I'd rather go with Brita and take the shot there on him. His ADP and PPR is um, 94, while Jordan Howard is 90. If they're going right in the same ballpark, give me the guy that will probably be out there for third downs. 100% agree. What about David Johnson? I mentioned that, that I, I do have some faith that I mean, that's not faith. That's not true. I do have some interest in a an ADP of, of 40, right? I think if he's going to be the starting running back, I'm not as worried about Duke Johnson. Bill O'Brien has proven he's not interested in getting Duke Johnson uh, ample amount of work. Even as a pass catcher, he's been underutilized. I think David Johnson, if he plays well early on, just takes this offense over in the backfield. But it's a big if, and last season has scared a lot of people off after a completely inadequate campaign in Arizona. Yeah, what a great trade by Bill O'Brien, throwing a third to Cleveland for no, not, not even the DeAndre Hopkins one. Going back to Duke Johnson, threw a third for him, and now we're, we have the DeAndre Hopkins trade compounding it. I agree with you. I Bill O'Brien likes to ride one guy. Carlos Hyde wasn't efficient last year. He still carried the ball 245 times, 255 touches. That's usable in fantasy football. Carlos Hyde had usable weeks. It's not pretty. The guy scores a couple touchdowns on that volume, gets close to 100 yards, you're happy with that at pick 4550. Yeah. Even even somebody like Lamar Miller who 
has proven he is one of the least efficient running backs out there in large part outside of, you know, some, some, some early, earlier seasons where he averaged five plus yards per attempt. He, he struggled a little bit, but he racked up 973 yards. Maybe I'm being unfair. He averaged 4.6 yards per attempt in 2018. It just felt like he never did, but he was almost a thousand yard running back in 14 games. And he's not as talented as David Johnson. So there, there's there's enough there for me to have faith. If people are going to draft Todd Gurley uh, at 30, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't be willing to draft David Montgomery at 40. But what about the last running back we'll get to? What about Melvin Gordon? This is a guy who I have been, been shying away from. He's being drafted in the same neighborhood as David Johnson, ADP of 41, a 20th running back off the board on average. Does he come in and take over, or do him and Philip Lindsay split work and everyone's supremely disappointed uh, after the season ends? With this one, I actually want to defer to what they've been doing in training camp. And early reports are indicating that Gordon and Lindsay are splitting work halftime. Gross. Now, there, there's a caveat here. Gordon has come out and said he's just been absolutely gassed with the elevation. He's just body's not accustomed to training at elevation. So I don't know if this plays a role here. This is kind of just a narrative I'm creating off the top of my head. But to sum this up, they're splitting work with the first team. That's what camp reports are saying. I'm shying away if that's the case. Yeah. David Johnson or Melvin Gordon at the same ADP. It's a no-brainer, right? For sure. Yeah. Wide receivers. And then we'll wrap this one up. Not a ton, but a few that we want to hit on. First one being DeAndre Hopkins. He's not really getting a ton of love, Matt. When you when you compare the, the type of production we've seen from DeAndre Hopkins over the years, he's I, – I'm looking at it right now, and I'm seeing an ADP of nine, but I can tell you personally from the drafts that I have done, DeAndre Hopkins is not going at nine. As a matter of fact, every – not I won't say every draft. Most of the drafts that I have done, DeAndre Hopkins has not gone in the first round. I'm fine with that. Him as a second-round pick, I'm fine with. I don't think he's going to see 150 targets again. He's seen that each of the last five years in Houston. We know he's not going to lead the league in targets. That's going to be your Devontae Adams, your Michael Thomas, those kind of guys. With that said, in the second round, I still think Arizona is going to throw the ball enough for DeAndre Hopkins to be worth a second round pick. We're seeing this narrative thrown around, I guess, fantasy football Twitter. Maybe you can speak to this a little bit too, that Arizona towards the end of the year, they went run heavy. They stop using those four wide receiver sets. And now to counter this, I go back to think about Arizona's roster construction last year. I mean, they're trotting out Larry Fitzgerald, who's basically a 40-year-old man. Christian Kirk gets hurt for parts of the year. They're leaning heavily on Keyshawn Johnson, Demir Bird. If you're Cliff Kingsbury, who historically runs that four wide set and is passing all the time, and that's your personnel, what would you do? I would probably slow it down, try to lean on the run as well, where my better playmakers are in Kenyon Drake and David Johnson. So I do think we see a little bit of regression. Historically, Kingsbury's always running these four wide offenses, these pass heavy offenses. If they return to that, DeAndre Hopkins is still going to see a ton of volume. It's even though it's not probably going to be the league leading 150 plus targets in the second round, I'm more than willing to take a shot on that. Oh yeah. And those are all good points. Uh, Hopkins has averaged 10 plus targets per game in four of his last five years. So just insane type of, of, of numbers from a volume standpoint. I think one thing with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury to, to add on to your point last season, what we saw is Arizona playing at the fastest pace in the league, right? 
seconds per snap was the lower than any other team. And then he started to slow it down a little bit. I think it was for two reasons. One, he found the running back that was getting things done. That always helps. And two, I think he realized that Kyler Murray was not adjusted to the speed of the NFL game yet. And it was doing him a disservice to continue playing at that pace and putting him in bad situations. So Kyler Murray going into his second year, Kenyon Drake being a guy that they clearly have faith in, at least for one more season. What I see happening is probably, as you mentioned, a more balanced approach. But if that's the case, I'm okay with sacrificing pass volume for a more efficient offense. Because if you can open things up on the ground, it's really going to make life a lot easier for DeAndre Hopkins. So maybe he doesn't see as many targets, and I don't think he will. I don't think this is going to be 2018 Houston Texans Hopkins. But, Matt, there's still a good chance that this offense is a lot more efficient. They're, They're getting more red zone opportunities. They're getting more opportunities to punch it in the end zone. And that, in the long run, is probably going to benefit Hopkins. As a second rounder, if I draft, say, if I draft, like, Joe Mixon or Miles Sanders or Derrick Henry in the first round, and then it wraps around and I get DeAndre Hopkins as my wide receiver one. I'm perfectly okay with that. Right. And I, I think this speaks to the, the conversation where at that range, you're looking at guys like Eckler, you're looking at guys like Josh Jacobs. I know you're higher on Josh Jacobs, but if you're making that decision and that's the decision you have to make, there's nothing else you can do. I think I'm just going with Hopkins there. Yes. I have no issues with that. It will depend on who else I have or who I've already drafted. I don't sure. mind. Yeah, I don't mind going running back, running back, only because wide receivers are going to open up a ton. And one of those wide receivers that I'm looking at late in drafts, along with his teammate, is Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller. Now, we won't get into Will Fuller yet. Maybe we'll save that for another show. Brandon Cooks was a four, or it was a thousand yard receiver in four consecutive seasons. Last year was a colossal disappointment. Jared Goff struggled, the offense sputtered, and Brandon Cooks was really the, the, the biggest, suffered more about from that than anybody else. Now you come to a Houston team with a top five quarterback in Deshaun Watson. He has an ADP in the 80s. Uh, in some spots, I'm seeing him drafted well into the 90s. And the real competition he's got outside of Will Fuller, who for all intents and purposes could be injured again, is Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb. Yes, there are mouths to feed, but personally, Brandon Cooks is, a, is in a spot where I'm willing to take a risk. If I'm wrong, fine. I wasted a late eighth round pick. If I'm right, I might have a thousand plus yard receiver that I got for almost nothing. For sure. And let's rationalize this Rams team a little bit last year. We have a QB that historically struggles immensely with pressure. The Rams offensive line falls apart. He's dealing with pressure at an extremely high rate. And then you've got a receiver in Cooks runs a 4-3-3 operating in the deep quadrants of the field, not having time to actually finish his routes before Jared Goff is under pressure. I mean, I don't think that rationalizes away all of the lack of production he had, but I think it definitely influenced it. Moving over to Houston, it's a team that vacates 150 targets alone from just DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller's injury concerns are well-documented, and I don't think Stills and Randall Cobb are posing much of a threat to this guy getting on the field. I looked up his age, and, man, this dude is still 26. Is that unbelievable to you? It's nuts. It's it's nuts. People treat him like like he's he's had one foot in the grave for for a long time now, and, and a lot of it has to do with the concussions. But an, another thing that isn't discussed nearly as much, yes, okay, fine. If you were to catch another concussion, it's probably going to be bad. But what if I told you that over the last five seasons, Brandon Cooks has missed 
two games, not each year. He's missed two total games over his last five years of regular season contests. Yeah, love it. And you mentioned what we really like about Cooks this year, and it's the price. Yeah. Will Fuller's such a trendy pick right now. You're getting Cooks a couple rounds later than that. Exactly. Could Cooks struggle again? Sure. But number one in training camp, he's looked very good. And number two, this guy, again, 1,000-plus yards in four straight seasons. He was averaging seven touchdowns per season over that span. If you get something close to that with one of the best quarterbacks he's ever played with, and, and, and honestly, he's played with some good ones, right? He played with Brady. He played, so I should I can't even say that. He's probably the third best quarterback he's played with. He had Drew Brees. He had Tom Brady and Jared Goff. Brandon Cooks has been a pretty lucky guy as far as that goes. But uh, nevertheless, I, I still like him here. And, and I like Will Fuller, too. I like both of them. The only problem is it's going to be hard for me to pair them with Deshaun Watson because I don't like drafting quarterbacks as early as he's going. 100%. And I'm fine with him being a one-off. Get your stack somewhere else. Yep. All right. Let's go close it out with two more here. And since this is a new podcast, uh, we're going to start trying to build this channel up. Any reviews and ratings would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Appreciate everybody for tuning in and helping us grow this channel. Obviously, we're over at awesomeo.com. The YouTube channel is DFS specific, but breaking into the fantasy football space, we need all the help we can get from you guys. All right. um, Let's go with Austin Hooper. No, you know what? No, let's go Hayden Hurst here. I think that's more important. Austin Hooper is going to – he's not going to do what he did last year. Simple as that. Hayden Hurst, are you expecting him to completely supplant Austin Hooper's production in in Atlanta, or are we overestimating what Hayden Hurst is going to do in his first season with Matt Ryan? I think we're probably overestimating a little bit. I think Hurst is a good player. I think Hooper is a very good player. And he had a lot of time to develop rapport with Matt Ryan in the offense. It's not like Matt Ryan's just been dicing out, you know, close to 1,000 yard seasons for tight ends his entire career. He hasn't. Hooper developed a nice relationship there. Took him three years. Right, it did. And now to speak on the other side of this, look at some positives for Hurst. Hooper is vacating 97 targets. Atlanta they are vacating the most targets overall, 258 up for grabs. Hurst is like this super weird prospect to analyze, even going back to college. He came out as a super old guy because he he gave a minor league baseball run, didn't end up making it. So I believe he's 26 or 25 when he got drafted. Goes to Baltimore where he's, you know, worse catch, pass catcher than Mark Andrews. He's a worse blocker than Nick Boyle. So he's kind of in no man's land there. Gets traded to Atlanta where now he's probably the best blocking tight end and the best receiving tight end. Even in that third tight end role in Baltimore, he still managed to put up 30 catches, 349 yards, and two scores. Impressive 2.44 yards per route run. We love to look at that for efficiency, 8.7 yards per target. Those are pretty good efficiency numbers. Now we just need to ask, can we extrapolate that that out to a full season with Atlanta? I'm a little bit weary, but I do think it's possible, which is why I'm okay with Hurst kind of in the mid-rounds as a a, a mid-round tight end guy, I guess. Mid-round, yeah. So where would you feel comfortable drafting him? It's a kind of strange season where there's actually a lot of tight ends that I really like this year. And that's the problem. I think if you're not getting Kelsey, you're not getting Kittle. Optimal strategy is probably to wait, take a guy, I don't know, Ian Thomas, Chris Herndon, the guys in that range where we're expected to see similar volume to Hurst. But we're talking about sometimes five, six, seventh rounds, the discount, which is the main problem with drafting Hurst. But if he does fall, say like, 
maybe 10, 11 in that range, which is usually pretty late for him. I'd be willing to pull the trigger. Okay. And like I said earlier, guys like Brandon Cooks, you basically get for, or no, I'm sorry, not Brandon Cooks, Jack Doyle. If you're waiting, you can get him for free. Mike Kosicki's another one. What do we, what do we think from him? Uh, all of those going in similar spots. Jared Cook. I'm not huge on Jared Cook this year. Tyler Higby, though, had a monster uh, final third of the season. And there's a lot of other guys out here that could put up numbers from Noah Fant to, to Goddard, depending on how he's involved. TJ Hawkinson, Janu Smith is is a topic of conversation you hear brought up quite a bit. I, I'm not saying by any stretch, Matt, that all of those guys are going to pan out because they won't. But now you've got some legitimate pass catching tight ends that are very capable of being used as more than just blockers. And you know, one or two, maybe three of these guys is going to kind of come out of nowhere and piece together some really big years. For sure. And that's why I think you either get one of the studs up top or you probably wait, maybe take two or three of those guys, try to land the one that does pan out. Otherwise you're fighting the waiver wire anyway. Let's close this out with Stefan Diggs moving from Minnesota to Buffalo, Josh Allen, ton of rushing upside, more rushing touchdowns in his first two seasons over the last two years than any quarterback, and it's not even close. Not even close. Lamar Jackson, not even close. Deshaun Watson, not even close. But his deep ball is bad. And in his rookie year, he loved to throw it. He just didn't like to throw it to his own receivers. And I'm hoping that turns around. Even with John Brown last year, it didn't look great. His deep ball percentage continued to struggle. His adjusted completion percentage was not good. He's got now two outside guys in Diggs and John Brown. He's got a good back in Singletary. Is this finally the, and even a good slot, they're a decent enough slot guy in Cole Beasley. How much better can Josh Allen be, Matt? Because that is completely, Stefan Diggs' production and his success this year will be completely contingent upon how often Josh Allen can get him the ball downfield. For sure. And I don't think you can spin this as anything but a positive for this offense. Anytime you add a guy like Diggs, it's going to be good for your offense. But man, what a stylistic clash we have here. Josh Allen completing 25% of his deep balls. That was number 33 in the NFL. Looking at Diggs, he's a guy that really thrives in the deep quadrant of the field. He had over 1,100 yards last year just on 94 targets, 28 of those targets came beyond 25 or 20 yards. That was number five in the NFL. So it's a guy that ran a lot deep, but I don't want to take anything away from Diggs. I think he's one of the most nuanced route runners in the NFL. We've seen him work the entire field. So just because he does run a lot of deep routes, deep route trees and stuff, I think he can do the other stuff as well. And maybe he's asked to do a little bit more of that in Buffalo. I don't love Diggs because of the stylistic clash, but I think it's an overall upgrade for the Buffalo offense. All right, you know what, just because we have a minute here, I'll ask you about Emmanuel Sanders. I think it's only fair. Strange spot coming from San Francisco to New Orleans. They haven't had a reliable second wide receiver in, in, in a decent amount of time, probably since Brandon Cooks, a guy that could really be that guy alongside Michael Thomas, and I believe that was only for a single year. Can Emmanuel Sanders rebound to another 1,000-yard season? He hasn't done that since 2016. I, I think he's probably got something left in the tank still. But can he be that compliment to Michael Thomas? And will he actually open things up for guys like Kamara and Thomas, knowing that they now have a third option, uh, maybe fourth, if you want to consider Jared Cook as well? I think he'll be safe. I don't think there's a lot of upside with Sanders. I don't think he's a thousand yard receiver, but I do think he's an upgrade on the guys like Traquan Smith. 
He did have over 800 receiving yards last year, five scores, but he's a guy we saw fade significantly down the stretch. He didn't eclipse six targets in any of his final five games with San Francisco. We know Thomas is going to command targets. We know Kamara is going to command targets. How many are left for Sanders? I think he's a better real-life asset to this offense than a fantasy football asset, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And when I first heard about the acquisition, I got kind of excited thinking, oh, that could be decent value here. It's possible, but uh, it, it, not every – all the stars I don't think align here. And and I hate to be this guy, but I do wonder, is, is, is Drew Brees in a position now where you're not going to get the same numbers from him? It's hard to say. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and maybe Drew Brees will be perfectly fine again. I also can't help but wonder if the lack of fans – uh, is going to eliminate that wonderful home field advantage he's had. But you know what? Maybe it'll help him in road games. I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty here. But with an ADP of 101, I don't hate Emmanuel Sanders. I don't love him. I think he's probably right where he should be. We'll let, we'll leave it here. Would you rather have John Brown on Stefan Diggs' team at an ADP of 100, or would you rather have Emmanuel Sanders at 101? I would rather have John Brown. John Brown. Okay, what about Deontay Johnson or Sterling Shepard over Emmanuel Sanders? Sterling Shepard, probably both actually, but Sterling Shepard would be my preferred receiver out of that trio. Okay, so at the at the current time, Sanders is not somebody that you're particularly high on at all in the fantasy world. No, I, I believe Deontay Johnson and Sterling Shepard both possess upside, something that Sanders lacks. Well, that'll do it for us. It's episode one of this awesome fantasy football podcast, the Nameless Podcast. Hopefully you guys can help us out in the books. Matt Gajeski, follow him at Matt underscore Gajeski. Follow myself on Twitter at Lafay underscore D and follow Awesomeo at Awesomeo underscore com. A lot of underscores here. Wish it didn't have to be that way. Thanks to Jordan Klein producing this one. We'll be back again with you shortly. Episode two, the fantasy football podcast right here at Awesomeo.com. 